Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Today's adventure takes us down a path with another podcaster, and uh, very excited to talk to uh, the host of, of Women Blazers. Now, if you've not heard of Women Blazers, this was uh, uh, something that Paul and I discovered we wanted to let everybody hear about, but it's a podcast that features interviews with women in the sports industry who are either you know breaking barriers or on their own adventures to blaze trails in the front office, and, and that's what our guest has been doing. Uh, Deanna Witter, uh, she is the uh, chief revenue officer for the Dynamo, the Dash there in Houston, PNC Stadium. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, Deanna, uh, you know, when we were doing our, our research and, and, and came across uh, Women Blazers as a podcast, you know, Paul and I thought, hey, great idea to talk to people in the podcast. But it took us a few months during the, throughout the pandemic before we got to that point of, of actually getting it done. You launched this in March 2020, which makes me think that you've been working on this well before the pandemic. That is correct. Yeah. So. When I landed here in Houston, um, I got here in February of 2019, and um, right out of the gate, I mean, becoming a chief revenue officer as a woman, you know, was a was a bigger deal than I thought. <laughs> and so when um, when I got the role, women, um, some you know, women at the same level, women who are coming up in the industry, were just reaching out to me almost daily. I was getting LinkedIn messages and, and emails like, "Okay, how'd you do it? What's your what's your path? What's going on?" And then, you know, in every conversation too, there was like this ending theme of, you know, there isn't a lot of women. And I'm like, you know what? There's a lot of women. There's a lot of women dominating this industry and you should know about them and their stories and how they got there too. And I'm having these conversations all the time. Those conversations were very inspiring to me and sort of helped me sort of break through some of those barriers or some, some of those thoughts in your head that even hold yourself back. So some of those barriers are happening externally. Some of them are happening internally. Um, and we should just open up and normalize them. And also amplify sort of women in general and, and really prove that there are a lot of women and there's this, this notion that there isn't. And so um, I started I started to brainstorm how I could do that. I thought blogging, but I don't have time to write and I'm not a writer. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I started, you know, here in Houston, I, I take a pretty decent commute. I have like a 45 minute hour commute. And so I've, I've switched from reading books to audiobooks. And then I started to, you know, from audiobook, you know, go into some podcast listening. I'm like, man, this is a great platform, you know, and there's something here. So over the Christmas holiday, I started to like outline what a podcast would look like. And I, I wrote it all up. I had that idea, the names, the first maybe 10 guests I had written out, like who I might have and the format. And then I shelved it because we were coming back from the holiday. We we're like really deep into our season. So we, our, our season kicks off like February 29th. It was my first like full, like real dynamo season um, and dash season. Sure. So, so I shelved it and I thought I'll, I'll launch it after the end of the season. And the pandemic happened and had a couple conversations of with women that were guests that encouraged me to go ahead and just go with it. You don't know how long this is going to be. And I said, that's true. And so I launched it. So I had that first conversation with um, Lisa Figenbaum, which was fantastic and sort of been flowing since then. 
I love that you really are focusing on showing the amount of women that are in the industry. Like you said, I think there's, there's maybe a bit of a misconception that there's not any. And while 100%, it does need to increase, it should not discount the fact of all the amazing women that are already kicking butt and, you know, breaking those barriers. And I think elevating those women and kind of exposing other people to that hopefully shows this next generation that there are seats at the table available for them because there are people that are already cracking that ceiling or have already shattered it. And if they don't realize that, unfortunately, which is awful, you know, they might not feel welcome into the industry. So hopefully that, you know, this is kind of a, a bit of a welcome mat for them. Yeah, no, I, I, I could have said it better myself. I, I, I agree. And I, I think the biggest takeaway when you're listening, man or woman, I guess from a man's perspective, I, you know, I think the biggest thing is there's a level of respect, like the hustle that goes into what these women are doing to get to where they are. And what you realize is go, oh, they're doing what I'm doing. I think that's the funniest part. It's like, they're not, you know, women are doing anything, you know, more magical than men. They have, they're facing a little bit more adversity um, in terms of, you know, being accepted or, you know, in those roles sometimes, but there's an appreciation of hustle um, that goes into blazing sort of your own path. And from one's perspective, there's this notion like, oh, wow, she did it. Um, how did she do it? I have to do what she did. When you hear everybody's story, everybody's coming from these different directions, from these different starting places. I love to go back to, you know, people are open to talk about like where they came from, you know, and I usually start in this college area because um, that's where people start to define. And so many people didn't even know they were going to go into sports in the first place, you know, Right. which is always really eye-opening. And then they're going in and out of the industry or taking in one path and lead themselves to another path, but all paths lead to where you want to be. And that's the whole idea too. It's just like, you got to define what success is for you, you know, against your own accordance. And, um, and that's both personal and professional, which we, as women, there's sometimes a sense where you can't talk about your personal life. So there's always a portion of the, the podcast. We talk about lifestyle I try to like completely throw out the window this concept of work-life balance, um, which I always hated that question because it's this, it's this, it's an unachievable component. And men are trying to have work-life balance either. You know, it's just about what's your lifestyle, how's it work for you? Let's talk about it. And everybody has a different way in which life works for them and the people in their lives as well. So that's always a nice eye-opening component as well in those conversations. Deanna, you talk about definitions and, and let's, you know, a, a lot of the listeners of our podcast came to us from the marketing side because uh, through the event arena marketing conference, but a lot of us uh, work in venues where, uh, you know, there's a sports team. So there's, there is that, that sports element as well. But when we talk about, you know, your role and, and the path that, that, that you blazed, you know, we talked about you being the, the chief revenue officer. So educate me, what is, a, what is a chief revenue officer? Yeah, so chief revenue officer, I'm responsible for the strategy and execution for our, our club, um, both Dash Dynamo and the stadium, and how we generate revenue and bring revenue back to the team so we can deliver all the things that we deliver to our fans and to the guests that come into our stadium. Um, so it's, it's very specific. Um, my, my team is, I oversee both partnership sales and marketing. So all the sponsorship components uh, for the team in the stadium, and then also ticket sales and service. So everything from season tickets to groups to singles to premium um, is all, all wrapped up under that strategy. And then there's obviously, in addition to that, there's concessions and there's retail. Um, concessions in our, in our world is really in relationship with the stadium. So we're sort of like shared partners in that space and same thing with retail. 
retail as a, as a marketing component because it's a brand based forwarding uh, component in our club. But there's always you know, feedback in terms of how do you sell? How do you sell the product? And so we get involved in those areas. And for those who aren't familiar, uh, tell us a little about PNC Stadium. Yeah, so PNC Stadium actually is a new name. We just switched over um, October 16th. So BBVA Stadium is what it was for the last nine years. This is the 10th anniversary. Naming changes are uh, so much fun. <laughs> if you're the venue world, you definitely know. In the branding world, you know how painful this. So I got here in 2019 and BBVA Compass Bank was actually the name of the, of the stadium. It was BBVA Compass. And BBVA went through a rebrand from BBVA Compass to BBVA. So we were in the middle of a rebrand when I when I had started with the team. Wow. So we had just switched to BBVA. And then through the pandemic, there was a transaction between PNC and BBVA. And so PNC now has, um, has the naming rights of the stadium uh, for the next year, in fact. So we're right now in negotiations with PNC on you know, potential extension. So there could you be another switch name. switch it again. <laughs> I, I know. I hope not. We love the PNC folks are so nice and so great. So we're hoping that we can continue that relationship uh, for another 10 years, of course. But but the stadium is, is great. It's It was one of the first, um, you know, soccer-specific stadiums in the downtown area. It was built in 2012. And we're like a couple blocks from Minute Maid Park where the Astros play and about five or six blocks from Toyota Center where the, but where the Rockets play. So we're right in the heart of the city um, on the east side of downtown, 22,000 seats, you know, real simple one concourse, but I tell you what, when it's packed, the energy just comes to life. And it's a, it's a great, great stadium. I think, you know, you brought them to my attention, which I think that when you are applying for a job, you need to ask how long the naming rights windows are. <laughs> my buildings are lifetime naming rights and I'm really happy about that. Oh man, lifetime. I just kind of lucked into that. I tell you what though, from, a, from an experience perspective in my world, I, I hope it's coming up because it gives me an opportunity to do something I hadn't done before. Um, but on Looking for that side, revenue, that revenue is what it's all about. <laughs> it's a way an opportunity to negotiate a new thing because it comes up in these, and these, like, what have you done? What experience have you had? And I feel like I've done a little bit of everything. We just went through an ownership change and, um, you know, we have a new owner as of June. And so that was a first for me too, in my, in my career is I had, I had never gone through an ownership transaction. So that, that's been a fun experience here in three years. I've done a lot with COVID and stadium name rights and ownership. It's been fun. It's definitely got to be a little different too. not just having a contract be up and have another naming rights partner come in, but actually to have the naming rights partner get bought out or acquired or go through their own rebrand. And then it's sort of like you're getting this trickle down effect that really was outside of your control and really outside of your timeline. Yep. Is that something that I'm sure they let you all know about that well in advance, but is that make it a little more hair raising because, you know, they just sort of pop in and like, oh, by the way, um, this just happened in a board meeting. We're going to need to uh, change everything in all of our venues that have our name on it. And for a company like PNC, I, I, to my knowledge, I know they have an arena. They probably have multiple centers and stuff around. So, I mean, I can't, I can't fathom like when they go through something or like on that scale, you know, how many people have to go and change things around. Yeah, it's a it's definitely a team effort. And to your point, it was, it's off timeline too. And 
you know, we saw the reports in the newspaper first and then we're like, Hey, is, uh, what's going on? <laughs> you know, we got to give them a call and see. And there's, you know, there's so much regulations wrapped up in that. So I think that was the, that's probably the most challenging thing. Knowing it's coming, you can't, you can't talk to anybody at PNC until it's finalized and done and approved. Right. Um, and so that was the hard, that was probably the hardest part because we know on the stadium side and the, and our side, okay, you have to order X, you know, signage and all this, or you won't have it in time for when you want to have it. And so we were, we were waiting patiently on the sidelines and thankfully we had just gone through it in 2019. So we had sort of the script and we knew what we were doing. So we didn't have to rewrite what we had done in the past. We just had to open it up and realize here are all the things that need to be changed over. We had some of those costs. We did some, you know, we did some background stuff in terms of um, getting quotes on things. Um, and just were prepared for when they were able to have that conversation. And we jumped on it and kudos to the stadium team and, you know, the, the gentleman that leads that um, relationship on, on my team, he, he's, he's incredible. And he did such a fantastic job with that. Yeah. You know, you talked about, uh, you know, obviously kind of forming who you are in college, but I, I want to take it back because you've got your path to get to this chief revenue position uh, is, is an interesting one, but I, I want to take it back to the very core, which is, do you remember the first time you walked into a big sporting venue, you know, when you were a kid. For me, I remember my dad walking me into Wrigley Field as we walked up there, you know, into our seats and the ivy and the walls. And all of a sudden, I said, "Oh, I like this. I want. I want to. I want to come here more." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in fact, I do. I I remember I was, I think I was probably eleven or twelve when I went to my first Detroit Pistons game, and we sat in the last row somewhere, you know, at the top, and. My mom had taken me with a couple of my friends. I was a huge, huge Pistons fan. I was a big basketball fan growing up. And um, I remember just the energy, you know, just the people and the screen and trying to get on camera. And we went down and I, I stood, I was the kid outside that would try to get autographs. And I got a couple autographs and that was game changing. I mean, that was so, so big for me. And so that was, that was sort of my introduction. But um, I've told I've told people this story. I actually knew I defined like I was going to work for a sports team someday when I was 14. My mom had, you know, we'd gone to a couple of games here and there whenever she could get, you know, grab some tickets through a friend or through work probably. And and she had this um, opportunity through a friend to hook myself and my friend, one of my best friends up for my 14th birthday. This was a couple of days before my 14th birthday. He somehow pulled some strings with somebody to have us sit at the scores table at the Pistons game. It's Pistons versus Golden State Warriors. Wow. Huge wow. game. And um, I remember, like, you know, the energy is crazy to be that close. But, like, I was so obsessed about these people, like, walking around in suits. I don't know what those people do. <laughs> but I'm going to do that because there's no doubt that those people are creating, making all this happen. And maybe the experience I'm having today is probably things to somebody like that, you know? And um, that was it. That was the pin. That's all I needed was that that one experience that that set me forth. And um, so I I uh, I was very. I told everybody I was going to work for a sports team. I didn't know what the hell that meant, but I knew it meant something to me. And uh, it really gave me that sort of north star of okay, I got to go to college. And so I I worked really really hard to to get to college. I'm, I'm a first generation college student. Didn't have the means or the funds or even the backing of of like who to ask to like how this all this whole system of college works and so I, I was I was able to to do some research and get some counseling at school of course and um, ended up getting a um, multicultural advancement scholarship at Central Michigan I had some opportunities to play soccer at a couple of division two schools but I, I was 
at, at one point, I think once I got into my freshman year of high school, I knew like, if I really want to make this life that I have imagined for myself happen, I'm going to have to be extremely disciplined and I'm going to have to be extremely um, intentional on the decisions I make because the decisions I make today will ultimately shape the opportunities in the life I'll have as an adult, which I wanted to be completely opposite from the environment I was in, as you can imagine. So, you know, you're, you're there at, at Central Michigan and, you know, do you start putting out feelers to get with different sports teams? I know your first job, I think, out, out of college was with the with the Pacers, but then you ended up back with the Lions back mm-hmm. in back in Michigan. So, yeah. so walk us through how you go from actually liking the idea of doing this while you're in college mm-hmm. to actually doing it. Yeah. So my, my, when I went into Central, Central was known as like one of the top athletic training schools at the time. So I thought if I want to continue to be like on the team, that was a part of the most heart-wrenching thing was thinking I wasn't going to play because it, it's it been such a big part of my identity as being an athlete my whole life. And I, I was really worried about not being an athlete. So I thought being on the bench would be the first path. And um, so I did my first semester, I did um, athletic training and I started down that path. I did like a couple of job shadows with the women's soccer team, which was the team I tried to like walk onto and I didn't make it. And um, it was so brutal to sit there with athletic trainers and watch these other people like do what I wanted to do. And then girls come over and, can you type, I can't play today, coach. Can you tape my finger? I fell on my finger. You're like, what? Like, I would, I would die like, I'll go in. out there right yeah. now. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I could live in torture like that. I need to rewind back to that game when I was 14. Who were the people in suits? Like, how do I find out who these people were? And um, so I went to Detroit Pistons website. And, you know, at the very bottom, it says job opportunities. I click on it. And there's, you know, they're promoting this career fair they're going to have in a couple months. I'm like, oh, so I apply and I, I pay my $30, which is just a group ticket offer, by the way. <laughs> so, so I go out to the, to the career fair as a freshman, to every sports team table. And I was like, listen, I, I'm a freshman in college, so I know I'm not eligible for a position. I'm here to learn, like, what are the jobs? What is the opportunity? And who do, what, what, who do I need to become so you hire me for an internship when I'm a junior and when, I'm, when I graduate? And they were like, mind blown. All right, kid. (laughs) And so they just gave me some great advice. They're like, well, first get out of the athletic training and um, told me about sales and the sales path and and what it meant. And I was really intrigued on the sales component because, you know, I I was a big fan of the marketing piece. And it was clear in the very beginning I I learned from these interactions was that sales and marketing are very integrated. Like you can't have sales without marketing, marketing without sales. And so it is sort of one, but the sales side sort of leads the ideas and the execution. And ultimately at the end of the day in sales, if you're good, you know, it's very similar to an athlete. So if you're an athlete, like I was like, you can go in and you can pretty much like determine your path based on your talent. No different than if I was a freshman going into a high school, if I'm really good, they're going to put me in varsity. And if I'm a really good varsity player, then I'm going to be the captain. It's no different in sales. You get to dictate no matter what you look like, where you come from, you get to dictate based on talent. And are you willing to work hard enough to be the best? I'm like, wow, you're speaking my <laughs> language. It was like the it was like the job was meant for me. And um, so I went back to that career fair every single year. And I just I kept telling what I was doing. I went, I was like, oh, I came last year, they told me this. And so I changed my major. And then they're like, well, get go get a server job, go be a bartender, learn how to like make a one-minute friendship. Like that's gonna be really important for you. Not, you got to get a job to get you on the phones. I'm like, okay. So every year I went back and I did what they told me to do. And um, I ended up, I got a really good internship my junior year. I ended up getting the Pistons internship. And I turned it down. 
because I, again, I had to be disciplined and intentional because I had this other opportunity with this um, Momentum Worldwide, which was a Buick golf internship in, in Detroit. And you made a hundred phone calls a day and you were trying to convince golf courses to, to organize and host a Buick scramble, a Buick sponsored scramble. And then once you got them to do the scramble, you had to call the Buick dealerships to then sponsor it. So there's a sense of sponsorship, right. there's calls, there's a sales where the internship with the Pistons would have been like a coordinator position. And I was like, all right, this is going to be, this is going to be my differentiator is that I'm, I've been, I've been on the phone. So I took that risk and the risk was good. And then my June, my senior year, the NBA was doing, they used to have a partnership with Teamwork Online where they host this annual career fair where like 100, 150 students would come out for a weekend. It was like a whole weekend recruiting event. And so I got invited to that career fair and I walked away with six job offers with six NBA teams. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was, that was how it started. So that's how, that's how I ended up at the Indiana Pacers. I, I had the six teams. I narrowed it down to my top four and those top four brought me to each market with other recruits that they were getting from that event. And I narrowed it down to the Pacers. The top four were obviously the Pistons were one. You know, I, I was, it was crazy to think I said no to the team that I've been working so hard to go to, but <laughs> I had the, I had the, the, the four were the Pistons, the Cavs, the Pacers and the Phoenix Suns. And the Pacers for me just make complete sense in terms of, you know, where they were, they were of the four teams was the, the team that was struggling the most. So I went to their game. It was like whole sections is empty. And there was just something about it that just really inspired me um, to want to be there and learn in that environment. And then um, the leaders, you know, there was a sense like they didn't talk to me like I was this kid coming to college. Like they connected with my story, my passion. And I felt like I was just one of them. And that really meant something to me. You know, you know, when you find that spark with people who you feel like if I invest in you, you're going to invest in me. And this is going to be a really good relationship. This is going to be a good investment for all of us. And I think ultimately that's what it ended up being. I mean, that can make all the difference. Like you said, it can be the greatest job. It can be a massive uh, paycheck, but if you don't feel like the people above you are really investing in your growth and your mm -hmm. future and really value you and what you bring, I mean, what's it all worth in the end, especially on a personal level, you know, it's right. like, you're going to just not feel valued. And then it, it, it's, you're not going to be motivated to kind of really go to bat for those people and really, you know, work hard for them. So mm -hmm. you really need that, but that's, that's awesome. Yeah, it, it's tough because I think we've all seen these the buildings. Uh, we've all been there where, you know, an army of 23-year-olds show up every year, right, fresh out of college, and they're so excited to work in the sports industry. And most of them don't make it very long, right, because it's the drive, right? Yeah. No, because it, it does, you know, and, and it's drive from both sides, yeah. right? It has to be the drive from, from the building or the team to want those people to succeed and give them the resources to succeed. But it's also there's so much of it that it's got to be internal. And so yeah. so where did that drive come from for you? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. You know, I for, for me, you know, it was it goes back to the beginning. You know, I think for me, it was you know being raised by a single mother and my father leaving when I was 10. And, you know, my mom was young, too. So there's this this sense for me, like. I don't know, like I, I didn't belong, like I was in the way, you know? And so when I, when I finally started playing sports when I was eight and I would say between eight and 10, between playing basketball and playing soccer, being a part of a team, like it really filled a, a gap of belonging that I felt at that stage of my life and becoming an athlete gave me purpose. And it was that athlete drive. And at that same time, I mean, 
every, I think every generation can say their generation of athletes is probably the generation of athletes. But for me, I'm growing up in the generation of Michael Jordan and who I sure. just up, like really looked up to in this, in this, this athlete, in addition to the bad boys of Detroit and this grit sort of component of grit. And then you have the Larry Birds and the Magic Johnsons. I mean, and basketball in the nineties was so big. I mean, NBA had just gone to a whole nother level of, of entertainment and, and interest whereas hitting kids. And, you know, I had my trading, I still have every trading card. <laughs> you know, like I was so into, it gave me, it gave me something, a community and how I felt about being an athlete is how I wanted to feel for the rest of my life. And that was truly what, what drove me. There's a, there's a sense of why. And it's like, how can I use this platform power of sports to make a difference, not just in my life, but in the lives of others, because it's had such an impact on mine. And so that's my why. And I, I, it goes back to what you just said, like you have these 23, you know, kids that come in every year out of college, you know, I recruit, I just got a class of 10 inside sales reps myself. And you try to connect on that. Like if you come in here to, and this is just a job or you think it's going to be glamorous and awesome because you're working for a sports team, it's probably not going to work. Like, what is it that makes you, you know, that really, really connects with you with this sport? It has to go beyond, you know, everything else. It has to really connect with your why and your why has to be meaningful enough to, to push you through because this is a hard job. You know, this is a hard industry and you have to really like being like a servant, you know, to the fan base, um, because that's my big thing. I just want to give back, you know, I want to grow communities. I want to give back to fans. And I hope that every ticket that we sell, there's an opportunity for us to maybe spark an opportunity for some kid like me, you know, to, to find their sort of North star, you know, well, your career, your adventure took you, you know, from that entry level position, you know, to the, the senior director of ticket sales with the Pacers. And, you know, when you look at those folks that are walking in the door, your team that's coming in, those rookies, there's a percentage of them, right, that aren't comfortable even picking up the phone. Yeah. The fact the fact that you at that at that young age made that choice to not go with the Pistons, you know, that that organization that you loved, but went for the Buick Golf, you know, outing, the, the thing that that forced you to get on the phone and forced you to get out of your comfort zone and find that opportunity, I think is, is a big piece of why you were able to succeed. How, how do you, how do you motivate those people that are coming into the industry to, Hey, you know, it's okay to actually call somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talk about all the time. I mean, that's, that's the interesting thing. We said, you know, we're really asking you to make these connections and these relationships with, with fans and to you, it's a complete stranger um, and it's crazy to think, but it might be one of the hardest things you do is to pick up your phone and try to spark up a conversation with somebody out of nowhere, you know? And um, so the biggest thing is like, you gotta, you gotta master that and you gotta bring your voice to the conversation. And the question is like, ultimately keep thinking about why you're making the call. You know, what is it that you're trying to, you know, basically grow into? And so, so for me, it was always like, you know, I think after that first year for me at the Pacers, I knew I wanted to be a leader. It took me about a year to go, okay, I want to be a leader. I know I can be a leader. Now I just need to start to develop in that, in that direction. And once I knew that, you know, I, I took it to my leaders who obviously, like I said, I had a great relationship with, and I, and I asked them, you know, I told them like, Hey, this, these are my intentions. I want to grow to be, you know, a leader in some regard in this team. And that's where they're like, okay, then, okay, you're making these many calls. You got to make this many calls. Now you're calling for something. You're calling for, and it, again, it goes back to tapping into those athlete, you know, characteristics. Like, I know if I want to be a champion, you know, I have to work harder. I have to make more phone calls. I have to practice my pitch. I have to, I have to become this person, 
And that's the, probably the breakthrough is when you realize that you're no longer thinking about a script and you're thinking about, you know, those sort of, you know, points in the conversation that gets you into the next phase of a sales process. It's where you actually become like that person. And this is how you talk now. That's a breakthrough. And if you can get there, it's great, you know, and you can take it from a leadership perspective and you can take it where you're just selling at a high level. I think that core motivation too is what really drives you on those down days or the times where you're struggling. If you don't have that thing that's really going to push you through because you have that carrot, you know, at the end of the stick, that's like, this is my goal. I'm going to get there and maybe today sucks, but that's all right. I'm still going to keep going for it. And you know, it is very like similar to like an athlete's mindset of working towards a championship or whatever goal, but you know, you both hit on this is that you really need that. And every person's motivation is different. Sometimes it's motivating, you know, just like athletes, you know, you interview some sort of kid in college that's trying to get into the NBA and you talk to them. Some of them are like, I want a Mercedes. And other ones are like, I need to bring my entire family out of poverty, you know? Yes. And, yeah. and everyone's kind of got their own motivation and you can't really fault anyone for different ones, but you have to use whatever your motivation is to help drive you on your journey. And you got to find what that is because you can't just, you know, be floating around because when you hit that hard day, you're not going to have anything to hold on to that, you know, is really going to push you through to the other side. That's a really good point. I tell, I tell a lot of individuals, like in the beginning, like what advice do you have? And I, I generally, my advice is, you know, one of the greatest assets you can have is knowing who you are and who you want to be. And if you have that, then you are going to be fighting to become that person while still holding on to your authentic self, you know, but that's a, that's a big, big piece. And when I talk to, you know, people coming up and they're like, I just don't know what I want. Or, you know, you're like, this is gonna be hard for you. And I can't help you. Only, you know, what you want for you. Um, I'll just be rooting for you to define that until you define it. You're going to, you're just going to be going through the motions of the job until you really connect with, oh, oh, this is what I'm working for. This is who I'm working for or what I'm working for. To your point, it could be so many different things, but every day you got to get up and you got to run. And if you stop running, the game's over and you're probably out into another industry. Well, you're running there in Indianapolis and uh, with the Pacers. And all of a sudden now you find yourself, well, I don't want to say you find like accidentally, but you end up working <laughs> with, for the NBA, right? So are you, are you in New York city at that point? You are the, uh, what the director of team marketing and business operation. Yeah, so I'm a part of the Teambo group. Um, Team Marketing Business Operations is a division in the NBA. It's like an internal marketing firm. And they, the big thing that the the Teambo does, if you're not familiar, is that they are the relationship between the league and all of the teams across the NBA, WNBA, and the G League. And so there's individuals in that that group. There's, I think there were about 45 people when I was there in that group. I don't know if it's grown or not, to be honest with you. But this is where the components of innovation, marketing, sales, and sponsorship all intersect. And then we were known to really collect best practices across not just our league, but across the industry and even sometimes outside of the industry to then bring them back to the teams and then obviously grow uh, revenue opportunities specifically through sales and marketing efforts. So that's Teambo. Um, when I left the Pacers, you know, like I said, I was a senior director of ticket sales and service before I left. And this opportunity opened up. Um, I'd heard about the league office and it was interesting. I, I, I had just lost an opportunity to become the VP of ticket sales at the Pacers, which 
was devastating, but I understood it was a time in which they were ready to make a transition in the leadership. And I just wasn't, it wasn't my time. So with that, I had to determine, am I going to stay or am I going to look to see if there's an opportunity? And at that point I was, I had unlocked something in my leadership area. Like I know what I'm capable of doing. I'm not going to sit. I don't want to sit here at the Pacers and like hold back. I want to go out and do more. And so in the league office, had this opportunity um, I was able to get into. I was super excited about it. And the, the crazy part was, is I, I go out, I interview for this job, you know, in the NBA and in New York City. I'm super stoked about it. Um, this is a dream job opportunity, right? And um, come back from New York. And uh, a couple of days later, I find out I'm pregnant. And my husband's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I didn't even get this job yet. Let's just wait. <laughs> let's right, see, right, right. Let's just wait to see what happens. You know, let's see if I get the job. And um, I get a call that Friday. It was like a week after the initial interview in New York and I get the job and I told them, I was like, listen, I, I really want to take this job. It's like 99% travel. And I said, um, but I just want to let you know, I took a you know pregnancy test a couple of days ago and I found out we're pregnant. And I, you know, I truly believe I can, I can do this job. You know, my husband is a, He's an RN. So he worked like three nights and four off. And the job was like traveling four days. And so it kind of made sense. We're like, well, let's, we'll let's figure out sure. this schedule uh, where he'll be home with the baby and I'll be traveling vice versa. And so I told myself, I, I know I can do it. I believe I can do it. And go, well, listen, we, if you believe in you, we believe in you. We'd love to have you. So you've got to tell us what you want to do. I said, well, I'm, I'm going to take it. <laughs> so I took the job and the Pacers were in the playoffs. And so um, the, the agreement with the Pacers was that I needed to stay through the end of the playoffs get them through the end of the class before I departed to the, to, to New York. And so I'm there for another four weeks and I have my first doctor's appointment. So I'm like seven or eight weeks pregnant. I just wanted to check on things. And, um, at that appointment, I find out I'm pregnant with twins. Whoa. You've got to be kidding me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I cannot, what am I going to do? You know, I had just bought a Camaro with my bonus. (laughs) I I just did a job in New York. Like, I'm 20, you know, 28, I think at the time. And I'm just like, okay, this is, this is a bad thing, you know, <laughs> but it was a happy thing too. You know, you're, you're welcoming your first child or children now. And um, so I called, I called the NBA back. I called them back and I just said, Hey, I'm pregnant with twins. In fact, and they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Moving to New York probably doesn't make much sense, but I knew that there were, there were people who worked remotely. And I knew if I worked remotely, it'd probably limit my opportunities of growth of the league. But I knew going into the league that it wasn't about growing in the NBA league office. I wanted to go there to make an impact, learn as much as I could, and then hopefully take that back to a team at a VP level or higher. And that was that was really the goal. And you saw that. You sort of saw that happening a lot with the people who went to the league. So it was a model that would made sense. They were extremely supportive. Um, That's great. I'm glad yeah, I mean, you, I, you couldn't have asked for a better situation. And so- Ended up not moving to New York. My husband and I moved back to Michigan. My husband stopped working. We agreed that he would stay home for a year. Um, so I, I traveled up through the seven months that I was healthy enough to travel and, on a plane. And then I drove to Detroit in the Fort Wayne, Mad Ants and, you know, Chicago, because I could drive there for until I had the baby. So I was at the Pistons office up until my water broke that week, you know? <laughs> and so I was, um, I did my 12 weeks and I was back on the road, you know, and my husband stayed home. And he's, he's actually stayed home since it's never really made sense for him to go back. We have three kids now, but it was, um, it was quite an experience as you can imagine. My, I feel like my time at the league is more defined about, you know, the transition of becoming a mother of twins and traveling as much as it was 
the actual job itself. It's kind of crazy. Sure. But, um, and really, I think it really defined for me how much I love what I do and why, what I'm doing it for. And I didn't realize what, how much I was doing it for like future until you, until you have your children. And if you have children, I'm sure you understand that too. Yep. Yeah. A couple of boys. And uh, I, I totally, uh, I'm right there with you on that. Though twins, I could not have done that. I, that might, that might've broken me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it broke my husband, but not me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you actually, you know, you kind of used that experience then to, uh, to you get that, that VP of ticket sales uh, job, uh, bringing to the Buckeye State, right? So you're here, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, you had to run there from 2014 to 2019. Mm-hmm. And for those who, who uh, don't remember recent basketball history, that was, a, that was a big period of transition for that team. So what was it like to walk into that position uh, with the Cavaliers mm-hmm. and then kind of, you know, ride through, through that wave? Yeah. Yeah. So um, Brad Sims, who served as the chief revenue officer for the Cavs, is the one who brought me in. He actually worked for Timba previously as well. So it's as I was going into Timba, he was going to the Cavs. And so we knew each other. We had some really good conversations before. So he was a good mentor to me as I was going into the league office. And so he was the one who brought me uh, to the Cavs in, in 2014. Um, I got there in May of 14. So um, when I got there, the pitch was, hey, like we're the worst team in the NBA. Uh, we need somebody who can turn this thing around. We're going to make huge investments. We have a lot of open cap to put the team back into a playoff run. You know, we, we don't know how you know deep we'll go in the playoffs, but there is going to be investments made on the on the court. And so I was like, oh, this is great. You know, it, and it brought me from Michigan to Cleveland, so it was still a drive away from family. This great market with this, and I think the biggest thing too, my takeaway from the NBA was, I think. Before the NBA experience, I would have went anywhere for anybody who was going to give me a job, right? I think that was sort of my mindset. Once I got to the league office, what I learned walking away was leadership and culture mean everything, everything. And so I was going to be a lot more uh, specific on the cultures I was going to work with. And the Cavs have a phenomenal culture um, and a great leader under Dan Gilbert. And they have a phenomenal CEO with Len Kamarowski. So I was like, okay, like this could not have been a better situation, right? So got there and I think it was like my third week on the job, The we were in the lottery, but not high up. We, we had like 11th or 10th pick. I can't remember the number. Well, I was home. <laughs> I was home. My husband was working on our house. We were like in a rental and I was home with the twins and watching the draft lottery. And we move up into the top three pick, like just like random, right? Grab the twins and I run <laughs> office and we're all running to the office we get the number one pick it was insane it was like okay like this is going to be an, an incredible year you know and so we get the number one pick then they the I think at that point they extended Kyrie and then LeBron came in July 11th which is insane of an experience I can go that's a whole nother podcast episode and then um and then they traded that pick for Kevin Love and so um so you know we we really had an incredible experience um so I went there trying to, you know, grow the business one way. And um, now the business had flipped upside right overnight, you know? So it wasn't so much about growing your business. Now it's about maximizing revenue and right. creating royalty right. with fans, which completely changed the mindset of, of what we were doing. And, and, you know, you know, the talks are happening. So you start to think about strategy prior to the announcement. So we were prepared for LeBron and we were, we were ready to go to, to maximize that opportunity. And then what we did over the next four years was, was incredible, you know, 250 plus consecutive sellouts, hitting all time franchise, you know, revenue records and sellout records um, every single day. And then that also helped us get the funding and the approval to do the renovations for the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse that you see today. So unfortunately I left before the project was completed. 
but it was, it's, I've heard nothing but great things about the, about the new good things. I hear good things. Yeah. I haven't been back since COVID. So it's, it's been, I have to get oh, back yeah. to them soon. I love how there's always sort of a challenge there. Like if the team is down in the gutter, it's like, how do we turn this around? How do we gradually improve our sales? But when you get those superstars, you're like, okay, now it's like, how do we not waste this opportunity? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's, it's not like you can just be like, okay, we're cool. LeBron, you know, just open the doors, people will come in, but it's like, how can we really capitalize on what we've gotten and what we've set ourselves up with and this talent and what this run will look like. And, you know, it's, there's always a challenge there. Like there's not really, uh, oh, it doesn't yeah. matter what, what your situation is, whether you're yeah. at the top or the bottom, uh, you know, you, you have to kind of find your motivation. Mm-hmm. I mean, they always say more money, more problems. That is for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it was really, really hard work. And it was one of the reasons, like I said, my, my husband never went back to work because it never made sense. I, I worked, you know, my whole team, I, I wouldn't say just me, but we all worked around the clock all the time. You lived, breathed, slept, calves, because to your point, like the run, you don't know how long it's going to last. And so you have to do everything you can to capture that lightning in the bottle. And the lightning in the bottle could be a year, could be two years, could be four years, could be, you know, until LeBron retires and he decided to stay with the calves his whole rest of his career. You don't know, you know, and so you have to, you have to think about those opportunities and what are you going to do with them? Because it will, it will eventually like all things in sports, what's up will come down and what's down will go up. Um, and you have to be ready for those moments, the drama, you know, like, I think that's what, what we fall in love with sometimes too. Like there's no normal day. There's no normal. Right. There's always something. And yeah, I mean, you, <laughs> right. you have to be ready for it and you have to be somebody who can navigate that. And it's not an easy thing to develop. You just kind of have to be that person. Obviously, quite the roller coaster there. But what takes you away from Cleveland, and then takes you down to Texas? Because you talked about that drive from Cleveland back up to Detroit to see family was pretty quick. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden now you find yourself in in Houston. So mm-hmm. that had to be a, a, a big change and a big opportunity. So so walk us through that that piece of your adventure. Yeah, yeah. So in twenty. 20- 17, October 2017, um, we welcomed our daughter, our third daughter. And I was on maternity leave. And I, you know, when you go on maternity leave, you give you know your responsibilities to somebody you trust on the team so you can, you know, do the thing you have to do to get your family situated for those 12 weeks or whatever your maternity leave is. Mine was mine was three months. And and when I came back, I was even more motivated, right? And I didn't want to come back just doing what I was doing. I mean, at that point, the cabs, it's like recycle repeat on the maximization of what we were doing in the, in the lot of the components of the renovations were come done. Now you're just sort of autopilot in terms of the process of selling the product. The strategy was done. Now you're just in execution mode, which is really your team. And I, I was like, I'm going to come back and I want to grow and I want more responsibility. I want, I want more experience. I was really inspired at that point. And so I came back you know, my CRO is in his spot. You know, we have a team president, we have a, we have a CEO, but I, I wanted, I wanted more. And so over time, my, my, actually my CRO left and became the CEO um, of NYCFC and the MLS. Okay. And that opened up the CRO spot and they decided they weren't going to replace him and they weren't going to fill the spot, which was challenging. You know, it's like, here's this opportunity I would love to grow into and it's not available now. And what do you do there? Yeah. And every time whether it was at the Pacers to the league, you know, from the Cavs now to Houston, you know, you know, when you're ready for something, like I've never been a person to like hold myself 
on the bench when I know I want to play and taking, you know, taking back that athlete mindset. So luckily enough for me, you know, there was an opportunity here in Houston uh, with John Walker. So John Walker is the, became the new president of the Dynamo and the Dash back in November of 18. And um, he came from the Memphis Grizzlies, had a, a great career also sort of in the beginning with the Phoenix Suns. And so we both came from the NBA. Um, we were reintroduced and he was looking for our CRO. And when you come up and people who are listening, who come up like a revenue path, there's two, there's corporate partnerships and there's ticket sales. And when you're a ticket sales person, you're always trying to break through to show, hey, I can also lead partnerships. And if you're a partnership person, you're trying to break through to say, hey, I can, I can also oversee and lead ticket sales. And there's a sort of intersection that you have to find, you have to do that breakthrough. If you don't break through, then you're going to stay in that path and your and your growth opportunities are limited at that point. Usually, not always, but generally is what you see. So for me, I, I was ready. Here's this opportunity potentially in Houston. And John and I had a great connection. We talked, I think it was maybe December, and I came and I came down in January, weeks after the holidays. When I came down here, I mean, I was so like, oh, just taken back by all of it. I mean, here's a, here's an opportunity where for the first time I can, I can, you know, work in a big market. I've always been in mid, like Indiana, you know, Cleveland sort of mid, you know, uh, Midwest, smaller markets. Houston um, is pretty big. It's massive. <laughs> <laughs> it's massive, fourth largest market in the country, you know, so you have a huge market with a lot of competition, you know, in Cleveland, we just had the Browns and in Indiana, we just had the Colts. Here's a market that you have the Texans, the Astros, the Rockets, right? So now this is a five team market. So you're, you're, you've got to compete against that. You have, you know, this growing game of soccer. So I just came from the cushion life of NBA my entire career, pretty much. Let's see if I really know my stuff. Let's challenge it with the MLS. And I love soccer. Soccer was a big part of my life, just as much as basketball. I love the sport and I see this huge opportunity with soccer and the impact of soccer. So I wanted to come here and really you know, do what I could to help grow the game and grow the, grow the league. I mean, soccer is the largest sport in the world. You know, it's crazy that in, in here in America, we're the fifth sport. So, and then you look at the runway to the world cup, the world cup will be hosted here in the United States in 2026. Then you have the, you know, and then at the same time in 2028, you have the U S sorry, the Olympics are also going to be hosted here in America. So soccer is usually the leading sport also in, in the Olympics. And so you're like, okay, like, how can I help grow the league to a point where when you get to this inflection point of 2026 and 2028, and then catapults into one of the top three leagues and to be a part of something like that is going to be extremely meaningful. And as someone who wants to be a difference maker, it just taps into all of the things that matter to me. And so, yeah, it was, it was a no brainer. And then you add in the other, you know, personal piece of now here's an opportunity where I get to lead more than just ticket sales. And let's see, let's see if I can do it. And I love the challenge and it's been it's been an incredible experience. I can't honestly, I cannot believe I just completed my third season. It it's gone by so fast. We've done so much, and I'm really, really proud of the work we've done here. But it's been a great, it's been a really, really good experience so far. What was that transition like going down to uh, Houston too from up north? Like I know my oldest sister, she actually went to college in Minnesota, then she moved down to Houston. Mm-hmm. So I went down to Houston a bunch, and now she's in Savannah. But it's like it was quite a difference. And you know, from someone who's in Michigan and then, you know, Indiana, you know, can get pretty chilly as well in New York. And then you're, then you're going down to uh, Houston, you know, is, are you, are you enjoying the warmer weather? Obviously the city is huge, but you know, was that a big shift just in culture from Midwest to Texas? 
Yeah, you know, the the weather, the weather and traffic are the two things everybody talks about when you talk about Houston. The traffic so far for me has not been terrible because I, I found my path. When do you find your route, you're good. Um, my husband never goes downtown. So I think I think that helps. Like we, you know, the city's so big, and no matter where you live, you can get everything you need in your area. So that's always helpful in terms of big. Weather-wise, it is it definitely gets hot. Um, it is hotter than hot can be described at some, some stages of the year, but, you know, I would trade heat for shoveling snow. Um, and <laughs> you know, you can't, somebody told me when I first got here, like you can't shovel heat. And I said, you know what, that is the smartest thing I've ever heard because the cold kills me. I can live in it. You know, I, you know, I don't, I never really define what, you know, my career path based on locations in terms of weather and traffic. Like it's about the opportunity. Everything else will always work out. That's how I've always seen it. But, but it is, it is an interesting um, market in terms of weather. And I feel like we got here. It's been a it's been a weird. We had the, that that big freeze in February that was just so so unique. We've had a lot of flooding. We've had you know you know hurricane scares. And I mean, it's been it's been a crazy couple of years. Um, and then you throw in COVID on top of that, so it's been very unique in that regard. But no no more unique than any other transition, to be honest with you. So, you know, just to, uh, you know, bring it all kind of full circle back to, you know, you Houston and then you're there in this new position and now you're, you're rolling this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So before we, before we let you go, you know, if, if give us the elevator pitch for women blazers, uh, I think, you know, we kind of talked about it at the beginning, but, but you're now in season two, Paul and I didn't even know we could do seasons. Right? So. <laughs> See, that was, a, that was a smart thing. When I was looking at my research, I'm like, I have to have an end. If I don't have an end, how do I how do I like change things? You know, how do I, what if I, something comes up, you know? So yeah, for me, I, I told myself I'm going to do one season, 20 episodes every other week. So 20 episodes across 40 weeks and every, every other Monday I'd publish a, uh, an episode. So I got ahead of it and it was really easy to manage when I was in COVID. This second season has been extremely hard <laughs> with everything else in my life, you know, and going back get to that. <laughs> normal work, yeah. you know, normal work situations, as you can imagine. So I'm glad I said, I'm glad I said every other week and not weekly. I'm sure you guys would feel that. Yep. Um, agree. Yeah. I, I, I've been pretty good with having my next person lined up for the next one. I'm trying to get them out in advance, um, get the recordings at least done before I have to, you know, edit and publish, but they definitely sneak up on you. So I'm here at the end of my, of my second uh, season. I just published episode 37 last Monday. So coming up is 38. So I'm only a couple episodes away from completing the second season. I'll have a whole bottle of wine and celebrate myself. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then I have to evaluate, you know, does it make sense to do season three? And the hard part is for me, I see no doubt that I'll probably do a season three. I have so many names now. My list is just growing and growing. I have probably enough names to do another three seasons of women, which is really, sure. really inspiring and motivating for me. But yeah, for my, my, uh, my pitch is, you know, listen, if you, if you appreciate hearing somebody's journey and you want to be inspired and you want to learn more about specifically like women in this industry, like definitely take a listen. I mean, this is, this is a great opportunity to connect and engage and network with people without having to set up a call. And you know, what's awesome about these women too, it's like every single one of them are open to like mentor and have calls and connect with anyone who's willing to listen, um, including myself. And so I'm always open to trying to have an intro call with anybody who's looking to have that intro call. So please, yeah, take a, take a listen if it sounds good to you. Women Blazers, you know, it's on, it's on Spotify and all the usual podcast spots. 
Yeah, it's on, it's on Spotify and Anchor and Apple Podcasts. Everywhere you can hear podcasts, it's, it's usually found. As fellow live event podcasters, I think it's also really critical that we elevate voices of live events and sports and venues more than ever right now. You know, uh, after the last year and a half and having everyone go through it with all the games canceling, concerts canceling, so many things. I think it's critical that we humanize the industry and maybe us as an entire industry have kind of done a poor job of that probably in the past or could have definitely done a better job of that. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, like obviously I, I love Women Blazers. I've listened to a number of episodes. I know some of the guests that have been on but I think, you know, between us and like yours and other podcasts that are in the industry, hopefully it really shines a bit of a, a flashlight on more of the human side and the voices that really motivate and drive everything behind the scenes of all the flashy sports that you see up front. No, I, I agree. I, I mean, before podcasts and the opportunity for us to have our own platform to share our own stories and our voices, it was you know, other publications that only highlight the business aspects highlights. And, you know, I, I think, I think um, highlighting and bringing to the forefront that the individuals behind all of that is so, so important from a personal perspective, but also as an industry perspective and to your point of humanizing it. I like how you worded that. So before we let you go, I'm going to hit you with our fast five. It's five mm -hmm. quick questions. Just looking for your, your quick instant response. Okay. Start off with uh, your, your first concert. TLC. Nice. How about the favorite single game you ever got to see in person? Single game? Yeah, like there's like one game. Like if you if one game that you saw that really stands out for you. Oh, game seven, Cavs at Golden State when we won the championship. That was awesome. That was a great game. Uh, all right, what sporting event is still on your bucket list? Super Bowl. How about your favorite vacation getaway? Oh, man, Hawaii. All right, last question. What is the theme song? to the TV show about your life. TV cameras follow you around and the, the show is all about Deanna. What is, what is the theme song to your TV show? Oh, uh, let's go Alicia Keys, Girl on Fire. Nice. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, that's great. All right, hey, if people wanna reach out to you, follow you, uh, we, we shout out the podcast, but what about you personally? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter at DW underscore Dynamo is my, is my Twitter. And then DWitter to on Instagram or Women Blazers on Instagram. There you go. Well, thank you for the time today. I know you're very busy. Uh, get to record a bonus podcast, right? <laughs> uh, but no, we appreciate you taking the time and I look forward to uh, uh, checking out uh, Women Blazers as well. So appreciate the time today. Thank you both. Thank you. And a big thanks to everybody for listening to Adventures in Venueland. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Ruttleberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. 
Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Do you want to be featured on our upcoming call-in episode? Call the Adventures in Venueland hotline at 859-421-1766 and tell us your favorite event day story. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.